For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Wounded Warrior Project is working to foster the most successful generation of veterans in our nation's history. One of the ways they do that is through adaptive sports. Veterans are some of the most resilient people on the planet. It's not about what you can't do after experiencing injury or illness. It's about tapping into what you can do. Learn more about how Wounded Warrior Project's adaptive sports programs are changing lives at www.woundedwarriorproject.org sports. This show is brought to you by K Jewelers. Listen up, NFL fans. K just dropped a collection of officially licensed NFL jewelry. Shop your favorite team in the True Fans Fine Jewelry Collection at k.com slash truefans. Gear up for the season and celebrate the love of the game with K. Intercepted! The third Buffalo takeaway today. An end zone throw! That's going to be a Buffalo touchdown to Gabriel Davis. But he's got some blocks. John Brown zooming inside the five. First and goal, Buffalo. Plenty of time for Josh Allen. Wide open. It's a touchdown, Buffalo Bills. This is the Buffalo Nerd with Colt Schroeder. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to the fifth episode of the Buffalo Nerd. That's right. I've made it to five of these. It's pretty impressive for somebody who didn't think I was going to get the first one out. So, uh, yeah. And as you can see, again, uh, you're fortunate enough to see that uh, I have a guest. So you don't just have to listen to me talk, you know, and I've actually got double guests all just in one screen today for those of you watching. So I'm joined today by Charlie Gross and uh, this is wife, Melissa. And we're going to be uh, chatting today. Um, you know, the show, The Buffalo Nerd, obviously, we're all about, you know, talking about charity and, you know, getting some information out there for people to learn about things that are taking place around them. So we're going to be uh, chatting up the National Fibromyalgia Association today, which I'm going to butcher this a bunch. So I might just say the NFA, if I can remember to say that instead of as we're going through this. But let's go ahead and uh, let Charlie uh, go ahead and introduce himself. I'm excited to have him. Um, I'm big into nerd kind of number stuff. And Charlie's uh, kind of a founder of something that I'm interested in learning about. And I hope you guys are too. So Charlie, go ahead and let us know who you are, man. What you, where do you come from? Hello. Well, I am a lifetime Western New York native. Uh, I'm currently the host of the two shows on the Bills Brawl as part of the Brawl Network. And I also have started my own NFL draft analytics company called, believe it or not, Trust the Process Analytics. So, yes, I am a Bills fan. Mm -hmm. And we've got uh, the main metric is a metric that basically measures uh, whether a draft pick is a hit or a miss and the value that a team received from that pick, kind of the same way that teams will grade players 1 to 10 or 1 to 100, however they do it. We've got a few other metrics coming out in the fall, a completion percentage and some stuff like that. But the draft value score is our baby and the thing we're, we're really passionate about. Okay, and you're joined by your uh, wife, Melissa, with us tonight. Melissa, you want to introduce yourself? 
Um, I'm Melissa, aka Kitten at the Disco. Some of the main podcasters know me. They have taught me the football over the years. Um, I mean, that's that's really about it. Well, you're a co-founder of Trust the Analytics or Trust the Process Analytics, right? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I'm not a math person um, at all. I I really suck at math. Uh, so basically, I just like am the idea tour type person. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I just throw some stuff out, you know, give advice things like that, do some research here and there. I don't you're, the, you're definitely the rock, right? Oh, you're, yeah. you're, okay. So absolutely. So you are more than the co the co-founder. You're realistically the drive behind what's taking place. And actually the, you are the main drive uh, for what we're going to be talking about today, uh, as far as the charity or organization that we're going to spotlight. And that is the NFA. Uh, or the National Fibromyalgia Association. I jacked it up. I wanted to try it one more time, though, just before I, I switched over to NFA. But so, uh, Charlie, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody why you chose, uh, you know, the NFA? Well, she first got sick. Feel free to correct me. <laughs> she first got sick about nine years ago, mm-hmm. 10 years ago. We're all right after the birth of our twins. And we had a lot of trouble figuring out what it was. We thought it was a thyroid issue or something along those lines. All the tests came back negative. And I could see the first things is that she's in a lot of pain. She was bedridden for weeks at a time, sometimes months at a time, and we couldn't figure it out. And just the impact that fibromyalgia has had on her life and just even the difficulty in getting a diagnosis was just incredible yeah. how, how difficult it was. And I thought about doing cancer because my dad passed from cancer. But let's be honest. I mean, cancer is terrible, but it doesn't need a spotlight either. You know, mm-hmm. most people listening have never heard of fibromyalgia. And I thought that that would just be something that I, we would be better uh, prepared to, to shine a light on. Um you know, not that cancer is good, of course, it's bad, but it gets a lot of attention, deservedly so. And I wanted to shine a light on something that's affecting me and, and my wife right now and, and our kids, our whole family, to be honest. Right. Absolutely. And, and this is cool, too, because, um, you know, part of me wanting to do this is uh, so far we've had, you know, some pretty large, you know, organizations that we've been chatting about that I think most people are familiar with. Right. Um, you know, but so. For me, I wanted this to kind of bring a little more of I'm hoping too that as I go through this, that it'll put the spotlight on smaller foundations and smaller things that are taking place, even if it's just something that's happening right there in the backyard of Western New York, you know, like how great Del Reed is with 26 shirts, right? Like that's still a foundation. That's still an organization and doing great things. So it, it was cool to see you choose something different. Um, I, I don't have a ton of experience with this, but I do have a coworker that has been diagnosed with it. And, you know, I've heard some stories and I have some understanding of what it's like, you know, I don't know it personally myself, right? But I, I've been told what it's like. Um, so that's cool. And then on top of that, we get Melissa uh, to come on today because part of what I want to do too is I'm hoping in the future is those folks that are putting together these organizations and charities, they get their moment to come on here and chat too, right? So to speak up for what the NFA is doing, this works out perfect. We've got Melissa. So Melissa, it, how how long do you think before you were finally diagnosed, you actually were feeling all of this? Well, it actually started um, when I had my son when I was 18. I had a botched epidural 
and it broke the spinal fluid in my back. Um, and then they had to do like a, a blood patch where they take blood from your arm and try to fill the spot um, where the fluid is missing. And that was just kind of like a starting point. Um, and then I had my second child and I had to have an emergency cesarean. So they had to go back in, do another epidural. It's causing more damage. Um, and then I had the twins and I'm very petite. I'm 4'11". The twins, I mean, my belly was down to my knees. It's a <laughs> lot of weight. I'm not kidding. I have pictures. Right. Oh, I wouldn't um, doubt it. Yeah. It's, it was a lot of weight and a lot of pressure on my spine, a lot of you know pressure on my body. And then I had to have another cesarean. And I think that was it. Like, that's the straw that broke the camel's back right there. And immediately after I had the twins, it was like a snowball. And I just started getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And it just didn't end. I mean, eventually I ended up bedridden, like permanently for years. Hmm. So it just, that's it. Yeah. So, so you finally, I mean, that's crazy. You were, you went from, you know, just having this great journey of having kids and, you know, you have twins and everything's going great. And then the next thing you know, you can't get out of bed. Right. So that's, that's tough. So what, like once you found out and you, they finally kind of told you what it was. I mean, what, I mean, you kind of really can't control it all that well, yeah. kind of from my understanding. Right. I mean, it's yeah. just like, you might have a great stretch where it's, everything's awesome and everything's going great. And then you might have a terrible stretch. Is that okay. accurate? Yeah, that's yeah. accurate. I mean, there's no cure for it. Um, there's only probably five medications that you can take for it to kind of treat it. And then there's pain management. Um, I'm actually allergic to one of the medications. Um, it actually killed me. Uh, I went into like anaphylactic shock and it, it killed me. Um, so I had to like be brought back from that, like EpiPen, whole nine yards. Um, it took 10 doctors to diagnose me first off. Um, one of the doctors, I was crying in his office and I was like, look, I don't know what's wrong with me. I think I'm going to die. And I'm in like, my late 20s early 30s and he looks at me and he says well we're all gonna die sometime hmm. and that's, nice. that's the doctors I had to deal with like people told me I was crazy it was all in my head it was new mom syndrome to exercise to eat right like there's nothing wrong with me and it was so frustrating and then to finally get a diagnosis from a great doctor and to be put on all these trial medications and nothing's working and then you're gaining 60 pounds and then you're literally dying. And it, it's just, it's, it's a crazy journey. It's crazy. So uh, you found something now though, that works. They, yeah. they've, they've been able to get you something or, or I don't mean like when I say works, I, I mean like get you to where you are comfortable and can make it through, you know, Right. Um, when I finally found my miracle doctor, which I absolutely love, um, he sat down and he said, look, tell me what's wrong. And that was the first doctor to ever do that. Um, and he just we formulated a plan. None of the fibro medication was working. We went to pain management and it it changed my life. I was able to get out of bed. I was able to start exercising again. I was able to go back to my job. Um, it, it just, it changed my whole life. And it's crazy too, because people with chronic pain are often judged and there's a stigma 
and doctors and people like to call us like pill chasers and, you know, junkies and all that stuff. But if it wasn't for the meds that I'm on, I would either be dead or I would be stuck in bed still and not living my life. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, well, you know, I think it happens with a lot of things that we, we tend to do that as just human nature. It's you, you, we, and I don't know why we do it. And I've been noticing it even more and more as everybody's been home, right. Is that we tend to try to venture towards the worst possible scenario of somebody instead of just being like, well, Hey, I, that's, that seems fair to me. I mean, I don't know. I don't know everything that happens in this world. I don't know every disease that's out there. I don't know what everybody's having to go through. You know, it's just the same. So I, I, I tend to trend towards the, I try to give everybody benefit of the doubt. I mean, it's, it is what it is. I, you know, I have a son that was born with cerebral palsy. I have an aunt who has cerebral palsy. I mean, it's, it's just sometimes that's the way it is. Right. And instead of trying to point somebody and being like, Oh, okay, this is what they're after you know, instead of just being like, let's figure out a way to help them. Right. Cause obviously something's going on. They have three kids. They're four. Is it four? Did I count four, four, three, four, four. kids, yeah. four kids. Right. So there's four kids involved, right. There's a big family involved in this, right. We got to do what we can. So you guys chose to, for multiple, obviously the main reason is it's very, very in front of you. Right. So we chose the NFA uh, to talk about, and uh, can you speak a little bit about kind of what the NFA offers or like kind of what, um, what, like if somebody goes to donate, right. You can see a uh, run across the bottom of the screen. It'll be in the show notes, you know, for folks that are going to catch this on, you know, the podcast version on Spotify and Apple and everything. Um, you'll have the link available to you there too, to be able to donate. What is that money going to go towards? Well, they do um they do fund research fibromyalgia is in this really sort of weird state where they've done a lot of research and there is targeted specific research but it's still a, a big mystery basically what fibromyalgia is is it's really inflammation of the nervous system so what you know you sprain your ankle your ankle swells imagine that happening to all your nerves in your body all the time and i think when she first got it, I said, well, what does it feel like? And I, I believe what you said was, I feel like I'm being set on fire from the inside while somebody's scraping off my skin with a razor blade. And electrocuting me. Yeah. All at the same time. So what they've kind of discovered is, is that it's sort of, there's a lot of brain chemicals involved. There's spinal fluid. There's amino acids in your spinal fluid. I know this is like super technical. So they kind they know what it does, but they don't know necessarily how it starts and they don't know how to, you know, how to cure it. Like, do you take a pill? Because there's just so many different things. Like you can get it genetically. You can get it, as she said, from spinal damage. They're, they're saying that you can get it, uh, grow up in an abusive household. Even that, that kind of abuse can, can eventually trigger fibromyalgia. So, they haven't narrowed down one thing and they, and since they can't do that, they don't know how to cure it. So a lot of it's going to go to research. Um, some of the money goes to putting people in contact with other people, telling them how can they can better their lives. Uh, exercise works for some people. And for some people it doesn't, her case is very severe. Exercise doesn't make it better, but we have a friend who made him better. There's, there's no really one set thing. And I think there's also a thing on there for the families too. And, and, I, and the thing with the family, I think is that's probably the most difficult thing 
and our kids are just so used to it now, but imagine, you know, your, your kid comes in and says, Hey, can I see mommy today? And it's like, no, honey, she's, she's too sore. Um, she's in a lot of pain. Or if they do see her a lot of time, they have to hang out, you know, in, in bed and watch a movie or a show or anime, whatever it is. And they're used to that, but we, you know, we'll go on vacation and, the one thing is she, you and I will, you know, work a, a job, right. You know, go to the gym, whatever it may be. And we get home. We're a little sore, right? We got like the, the trigger point going in our, mm-hmm. shoulder, like, Oh man, well, yeah. hers swell up. She can't bend her arms or her legs. And if she works an eight hour shift, she's bedridden for two days, you know? So if we go on vacation or, or something, or, or she says, well, I'm going to go play with the kids outside. She, has to realize that doing that is going to make her immobile for two days or a day. So if we go walk the mall in Toronto for two hours, we've got to stop and it's fine. I'm not complaining, believe me, but that's how we have to manage her energy. Cause if she does too much or she, she goes too hard at you know, gardening or her work, whatever it is, she's going to pay the price for that over the course of the next couple of days and that's what her life is so they offer support for families they offer support for, for the people who have it too we, and awareness right awareness. and awareness right. you know it's like she said it's it's a silent disease there's there's no tumor to cut out there's no radiation either there's no you're not testing for your blood sugar so people see her and they well what's the problem like why aren't you at work today you know suck it up pull yourself up by your bootstraps Right. And there's, you know, she looks. Yeah, if you look at her, she looks right, yeah. you know, perfectly healthy, right? right. Just so, normal. So they normal woman so all those things on the the uh, association. Yeah, I think even um, for everybody that watched the, you know, the first, the second episode when I had Jenna Cottrell on, you know, she, you know, went through cancer and all that. And one of the main things that she took that we talked about with that organization was the support system, right? It's a lot of times it's just educating the people around you the best that they can of what's going on for that person, right? Like you might have a hard time, like when this was first happening, I don't know. Right. But there, I, I feel like there could have been a friction where I was like, is this really happening? You know, like I, I don't know what to do with this, right? She's telling me this, this, and this, and I don't know what to do with this, you know? So that having a support staff around and being able to meet other people that have the same things going on, right. It, it really, I think puts everything in perspective for everybody to understand that it's real. It's there. It's happening. Right. It's, and like when you're talking about, you know, you're basically having to choose what's worth your time and what's not worth your time. Right. Like, is this trip to the mall going to be worth me not getting to hang out and what I want to do for a couple of days? Right. right. Like, I mean, that's tough. I mean, I, I can't imagine having to decide every day what I'm, what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do to make sure that I can still do stuff tomorrow. Right. Like, so very cool having you on. Um, thank you for coming on and chatting about it and kind of telling everybody, you know, like I had mentioned a little earlier, I have a coworker that's dealt with it. So I, ha- I have some familiarity with it. So when you brought it up, uh, it wasn't just like, oh, I've never heard of this before. Right. Which I think is true for probably some people that this is something that some people have never really heard of. Now we're exposed to a lot more nowadays than we ever, you know, everybody was in the past, but very cool having you on. Um, you're kind of like a, you know, like a little warrior ninja over there, just like, you know, kicking ass and taking names. But so thanks for coming on and chatting about it. Uh, I appreciate, you know, telling your story and uh, hopefully everybody that's listening is going to too. And it sounds like you're chatting up a really awesome organization, which is, you know, what this show is, you know, all about and what I'm hoping for it to be about while well, we get to chat about football and complain about things too. But 
realistically, we want to chat about charities doing great things and meet people like you that are having to deal with it so we can get a perspective of what's actually taking place. Cool. Thank you very much. Do you guys have anything else that you kind of want to throw out about it? Is there any like programs that you, besides the NFA, anything that you kind of want to be like, there's a support group here if you're local to Western New York, you know, any of that kind of stuff? Um, there's a lot of support groups online, um, Reddit, Facebook. That's where you're going to find us because we really can't leave our houses. Um, but what I would say the most is if you know someone who has it, don't judge them. Take the time to look into it. Take the time to educate yourself. Like it's not a fake thing. We're not faking it. It's not in our heads. This is very, very real. We don't have a support system. We don't have people to help us typically. I personally lost every single friend I ever had. I mean, friends for 16 years, 20 years, they just left me. You know, some of my family still doesn't believe me. Um, so, I mean, do some research. Look into the spoon theory. That's one thing that we use a lot. We call ourselves spoonies. You know, just help someone. Empathy. You know, just be understanding. That's all. Right. Yeah. Listen. And for starters, just listen and take that in instead of listening while prejudging what you're listening to. Right. Yeah. Right. And this, I don't, the spoon theory is more or less what I talked about, about, you know, energy um, consumption. Right. Like say you've got, you know, hundred percent of your energy, let's say one spoon is 10%. You've got 10 spoons for that day. And maybe for her, it takes her six to go to work. She's got four left when she comes home, right? Cooking right. dinner is one. Then she runs out and she says, okay, well, if I want to do this activity, I got to borrow from tomorrow, you know, and that's kind of how they, they make it, um, you know, more. Right. It's like you're spoon feeding yourself. The, right. the, the, I will say one thing before we, we move on to the, the bills yeah. talk or whatever. My dad, um, died from cancer in 1998. So it's not that I'm not familiar um, with cancer. Um, And I saw him suffer through the radiation and he had a, you know, like the fanny pack with the constant radiation, um, the stint and all that stuff. And, and I would hear him uh, in his room, you know, like moaning from the pain and and his legs used to just from the ankles up, used to turn like fire engine red, and I could just, you know, the amount of pain that he was going through, like I could tell it was very, you know, very bad. And I would say that the pain that she goes through is the same. The difference is, is that, like I said, there's no cure. My dad was either going to live or he wasn't, you know, she's, she got this when she was 26. She's going to have it until she's 90. So I can't like ask my dad if I could, like, how would you feel living with the pain that, that, that you lived with with that for 60 years? Right. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, that's when when you break it down like that, I think right. it just sort of it gives people a good perspective on on just what it what it's like, you know. Well, and it's actually taking probably to somebody that's supposed to be 90, 100 years and potentially moving them more towards a 70, 80, just because they're taking so much more stress on the body. Right. Well, not only that, but it opens the door to more diseases. Usually when you have fibro, you get chronic fatigue and chronic fatigue is an autoimmune disease, which means when you have one autoimmune disease, you're open to more. So rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, MS. And then you get just a plethora of diseases on top of the fibromyalgia. 
so IBS, IBS, like, yeah, you know, different, yeah, all kinds celiac of disease, yeah. So understandable. All right. Well, I, again, Melissa, thank you very much for you know speaking out and you know telling us your story and kind of you know giving us perspective on what's going on there. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having that was me. A, absolutely. We'll have to do it again down the road at some point in time. Bye. <laughs> Bye. We'll see you. Uh, all right, Charlie. Uh, so now we'll switch it over a little bit and let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's dig a little deeper into your, the draft value score. Oh, oh so you, boy. Okay. So you uh, kind of mentioned it a little bit, um, you know, kind of what it is. So what got you to start this and why or where, where, what you got, got you to this point where you're like, I need to do this draft value score. Well, that that's funny. I guess as I, I think about it, there's a few different people that I really have to thank. One of them really is Mike Shope, believe it or not. Another one is uh, Ralph Wilson, sort of for his incompetence near the end, really, <laughs> is how it, it kind of came into to play. Um. Oh, there we go with um. Sorry, they they had uh when the Bills were drafting running backs, right? They had Marshawn Lynch and and this long list of, of running backs that they just I just really got fed up with the team, and I really decided that nothing was going to get better. Unfortunately, until you know, the team was in other hands. And so I decided I couldn't really, I still watch the games, but I couldn't really invest quite as much emotion as, as I was back in the nineties when I was in the stands and they were going to Super Bowls. I couldn't do it anymore. So I started getting more into the league and always been a big draft guy. I love the draft. I'm the guy who simulates the season on Madden and just does the off season. <laughs> so I was on, I was listening to WGR and this is maybe 2016. And Mike Shope has this thing where he says, well, why do we even need GMs? Why do we even need scouts with all the literature that's out there? You know, Lindy street and Smith, Mel Kuyper, the draft network. I, you're telling me that I can't just open one of those books and pick the players. Well, how hard can it be? Right. And so that got me thinking, so well, how hard can it be? And then I was watching ESPN maybe the year after, and they were talking about draft pick hit rate. And they said, well, you know, 40% of draft picks are hits. And me being a sort of a rude skeptic said, oh, yeah, how do you know that? And so I searched the internet for some sort of metric or statistic that would tell me what they consider a hit, what they consider a miss. What's the criteria? I couldn't find anything. I've come to find out that it's more or less getting the player to like a second contract. Right, and I, and I said, well, that's terrible. Right. I mean, you might draft a guy in the first round. You might give him a second contract. but That doesn't mean he lived up to what you thought when you drafted him in the first round. So I started doing this scoring system and it was really bad, but I didn't know it was really bad at the time. And I tweeted at Joe Marino that miles Garrett was a bust. And this was in 2018 ish. And I figured the only way to get noticed was to tweet at somebody like that until they either blocked me or they got so annoyed that they wanted to talk to me. <laughs> uh, it only took Joe two tweets to want to talk to me. So I was really excited about that. Um, we talked on the phone and he said, I think your idea is great, but I think your scoring system is terrible. And he also told me, he said, I think you're doing two things. I think that you are, you have a system that's going to tell you whether or not a pick is a hit or a miss 
but you're also going to be able to tell us what kind of value a team um, is getting from a player. And I thought to myself, wow, that's he's, he's right. I am. So I developed a, a better scoring system. I talked Melissa's ear off for literally 18 months about how am I going to measure a fullbacks production? And does this sound right to you? And of course she had no idea. <laughs> right. She was very patient with me. And I came up with this system that I call the draft value score. I tested it on about 200 different players. And, and, uh, and here we are now and I'm ready to, I, I'm rolling out a little slowly, but it is available. And I think it's fantastic. So, and, and Joe, Joe's on board with it. And I, I talked to a few other people who have connections in the league and they think it's a, it's a pretty good idea. So we made a analytics company with it centered around that. And we're going to see what happens. Excellent. I like it. So let's chat then. So you, uh, 200 players, uh, who's somebody that you, you could say uh, right now off the top of your head that had, that we've drafted that came out with a good score. Bruce Smith. <laughs> yeah, that, that long ago, right? Yeah. I just, well, so I'm, from what I'm hearing though, your score is based not only necessarily just on like them getting to a second contract, right? It's more about what, Long, right. Is it have longevity involved production contracts at all? Right. So it's longevity play games played stats in those games, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's stuff like that. Each um, position, I have seven categories. And then basically what I do is I, I uh, it's a yearly metric. So it only, it's only calculated once the season's over and it's a career metric. So the score isn't final until the player retires. So Tom Brady, his score is still going up or down, you know, depending on his, his same with Drew Brees. I don't know if he's actually going to play. He says he's going to play now all of a sudden. Right. Um, you know, so, so there's seven categories from each position group and some of them are individual statistical categories and other ones, um, especially like the offensive line are more team oriented, team success oriented. I add up the numbers at the end of every year for every player divided by seven. And it basically gives me a score similar to how somebody, you know, Dane Brugler or somebody would grade a draft prospect one out of 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that's different for me is that any player who's a 9.97 or higher is a hall of famer. And did you just give you an example? Like Tom Brady's at a 20 and Bruce mm-hmm. Smith is at a 12, you know, Jim Kelly's like a 10.47. So you can see, you know, going to Super Bowls is, is beneficial. Right, obviously. So, but I think what the cool thing is, is it's the value component. And I think that's the thing that people have a tough time understanding is you take a guy maybe in the second round and fans, Cody Ford might be this type of player where fans say, oh, that guy, he sucks. And I'm going to sit here and say, and now maybe not right now, but he's in the league three, four more years. And even if he is a backup, he might hit the threshold where I consider him a hit, but I'm going to tell you that he certainly hasn't returned the value of a second round pick. So, so I have it graded like that. So like if Cody Ford has a score of 5.5, that's a hit, but he's really only returned the value of a fifth round pick. Mm. And that's what makes it unique. So it gives us more depth and more layers, you know, and then you can compare, I can even compare, I can tell you the hit rate any team has in any position in any round in any pick eventually. So I can tell you the hit rate, the Buffalo bills have had taking defensive tackles at pick 87, or I can tell you of in round three in total, whatever it is, eventually I'll be able to tell 
you whoever all that information. So I think how many how many years of data do you think you need to do that? Well, right now I'm concentrating on going from 2000 to now. Okay. Just because that's where the active players are. I eventually want to go. I believe I can go back as far as 1980. And then the stats get really, you know, they're not keeping track of sacks. They're not keeping track of, you know, passes like defense kind of run out of steam, like in the mid 90s, quarterback hits. So you kind of have to do some extrapolating once you get way back. Um, But I wanted to make sure I got like the 83 quarterback class, Kelly Marino. Mm-hmm. No way in there. Um, I'm going back to 1980 because somebody asked me about our monk. So I figured okay, I could cool. go that far back. But the yeah. priority right now is to get all the current active players done because then what I can do is I I can write team reports and I have these very detailed team player drafting and development reports. And then all, what I'll be able to say is, okay, well, where's Howie Roseman in relation to Bill Belichick, where is Chris Ballard in relation to Howie Roseman and Chris Greer? And I'll be able to give uh, people a ranking of the GMs and the organizations in general in terms of player development and player drafting. So when you hear somebody say, well, Howie, Howie Roseman is this great GM. And I can say, well, are you sure about that? You know, here's, here's his hit rate. And then, you know, it's the stuff like that. So, so I think it'll bring a lot of context to team building and that kind of stuff. Very cool. I, that, as you just kind of get, I saw your excitement rising as you went more and more into depth with Sorry. it, which got me, no, which got me excited even more. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Like, cause that's the kind of stuff I would like to read because I like, I was watching, um, I forget who I was watching yesterday. I was watching a podcast yesterday and they started talking about Detroit, right? Not trying to like sidetrack us like way off or anything, but they were talking about, you know, Detroit and the situation that's taking place over there. And, you know, now they've got Dan Campbell. And right as Bills fans, we remember Dan Campbell, right? Because he interimed for the Dolphins there for a hot second, right? Where they actually made a run a little bit while he was the head coach. But, there, you know, to me, it's like that is an organization that if I'm just – just guessing would have a terrible score from you, right? It's like they, they, they I mean, haven't done their whole thing yet, but I would think that their score is like pretty terrible. Right. I mean, you just imagine and, and you've got to, I feel like it falls back to me. I've, I've always thought this way that it, it, yes, you can have, you can be missing that quarterback and you might not win until you truly get that quarterback, but that's all part of the organization as a whole, not getting you there to get that quarterback in the first place. So, and I, and I feel like we went through that for what, 20 plus years, realistically, until we got Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean in the house before. Right. I mean, Doug Whaley did it a little bit where he started to kind of square us away a little bit, but they reached a lot then too, to make that happen, which we don't have to do anymore, but it's just, where would you say the bills, if you were just guessing right now, if you were to give them a number without really doing it, how would you rank McDermott and Bean right now? Oh man. I, I think, well, the thing is, is that I, I, I got to wait till the players in the league for three years. Okay. You know, I was like, as draft guy, I mean, I, you know, if I do um, somebody score after one year, it might be like an eight and you're like, Oh my God. But then, you know, the more you pile on data, sometimes the score can actually come down a little bit. So I start, so I, this is the first year, like I'll be doing like Josh Allen's score, like that draft class. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say if you're measuring from 2000 till now, the Bills score, you know, it's probably really not that bad. Yeah, I mean, Whaley wasn't bad at getting talent. He just didn't have a plan. He just was like, yeah. oh, this guy's talented, but he, he never had a plan to put it together. Um, I think McDermott and Bean are certainly 
you know, Milano is a big, well, that's Doug Whaley technically, but for, it's, it's right. too. like Milano would be a big win. Like, like for that, because he's a fifth round pick, even a guy like Ray, Ray, Ray McLeod, like he doesn't play for the bills, but he's, I mean, he plays for Pittsburgh. He's their kick returner. I mean, that's a guy who I think is a, a basically right at the line of a ready returning value. So I would say that Bean and McDermott have, if they keep doing what they're doing, will be top five in the league for sure. And just to give you some perspective, I did the Patriots because Bill Belichick's been there forever for the 20 years. His hit rate's 44%. So yeah, they actually don't draft very well. Right. So whoever tells you, whenever someone tells you that, that Bill Belichick drafts well, that is a lie. He yeah, a lot, doesn't a draft lot. well at all. A lot of their success was when they started winning, they were able to get free agents to come in where they needed them at cheap contracts right. because they knew they had a chance to win a Super Bowl every year. Right? Right. It wasn't that they were drafting well. I mean, look at their draft class from last year. I mean, they his highest draft percentage was 2002, 66%. His lowest was 2007, 12%. So he had a hit rate of 12%. So they got like nobody right. Yeah. yeah. And so Basically. all this talk about his, he has all these picks. Who cares? He, he doesn't hit on them. It doesn't matter. And, and it's, it's crazy to see too, because Tom Brady is such an outlier. I, I've got offensive linemen from the Patriots who literally played five years in the league and like Anthony Munoz is like a 12 something. These guys are like 14s mm. because they went to the Super Bowl every year with Tom Brady. Right. And they were scoring 60 touchdowns in an offense. And as an offensive lineman, I'm giving you credit for team success. Do you have uh, enough data on John Elway? I have his score. I, I can pull it up for you in a second. Uh, if I can get to the, get to the right thing. I, I've done Elway score. I've done yeah. Reno score and I did Kelly's score because I was very curious um, as a Bills fan. Do you have Elway as a GM? I'm sorry. What was that? Do you have Elway as a GM score as well? No, I don't have Elway no, as a GM. Not yet. Yeah. No, uh, but I'm, I'm interested in that too. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Tom Brady's a 20.68. <laughs> um, Marino is a 10.19. Kelly is a 10.17. And Elway is a 10.14. So they're all clustered right there together. But so that actually proves your data to be pretty sound then, though. Because yeah, I mean, those, I, those guys I, all were pretty competitive. You can tell me if I'm I'm crazy. Um, Aikman's a nine point six nine, which would be just below Hall of Fame. Um, who else do I have? I got Edger and James at an eleven point two two. Eric Dickerson is a ten point two two. Fred Taylor is nine point eight. Um, Eli Manning's like a nine point nine five. So he's like the typical, right? Like right. fringe Hall of Famer. Like Super Bowl some, saved him, right? Yeah, like yeah. he. Yeah, I actually based my. I can't believe I'm going to admit this, but I am. I based my entire who's a Hall of Famer, who's not a Hall of Famer, on Eli Manning. Because I, mean, I don't think he is, but I know a lot of people do. So I want whatever his score was, I was going to put the Hall of Fame one percentage point above his score. <laughs> Excellent. I really love that, actually. Oh, thanks, everybody. <laughs> but with him, I, I can see why you would choose somebody like him. But I, I think the reason that he gets in is because he won those Super Bowls. If you're going to yeah. put somebody like Kelly in, right, who never actually won a Super Bowl or, you know, he got four AFC championship titles but never won the Super Bowl, if you're going to have somebody like that in, it's hard to turn down somebody that's got, you know, a Super Bowl victory. And he didn't have great numbers, but he didn't have, like, terrible numbers really either. Oh, eight and eight, and then 12 yeah. and four, and then eight and eight with a Super Bowl. It was really 
really weird. That division's been weird for 15 years. Realistically, yeah. they can't they can't seem to figure themselves out. But cool. So we really won't be able to get the true like understanding and value of what you're up to for like a couple more years when you can really gather some more data. Right, except for being able to go back and get history. Sure. Right. Yeah. And that's and that's the tough thing, right? Is is every year there's six new GMs. So right. it's very hard to just sit there and say, I'm gonna be able to compare all thirty-two current GMs to, to each other. It's that's very difficult because some guys get fired after three years, right? You know, and then you go into obviously like Philip Rivers was drafted by the Giants, but obviously we all know that credit would go to the Chargers for his score. So there, there's, so I don't, you know, we wouldn't be able to. It's more like an organizational thing. You know, like obviously Bean will be here for a while. The guy in, in Baltimore is going to be there for a long time. Indy, so Howie Roseman's been there a while. Um, but yeah, you can't really just like I don't know if we'll ever get to a point where all thirty-two guys will have enough of a sample size to to compare them all. You right. Know? Gotcha. So you have a uh, just as you were talking, it just popped in my head. Do you have a Dion Dawkins score? Oh, you know, I don't know if I've done Dion. I might have because he's got to be just past the threshold, right? I, I mean, he's past his probably from last year because I haven't done him yet this year. Uh-huh. Let me check. Uh, oh boy, he'll be a lot lower than that. <laughs> um, Dion, you know, I don't. Sean Trout this last season, two eight. If that, mm-hmm. that makes everyone right. feel good, no, I don't have Dion's score yet. Okay, I was just curious because he, he, because yeah, I feel like if I was, I feel like he would fall into a decent number. You know, for where he was drafted, what right. he's done, he has made it to that second contract, whether that's involved or not. He's he's been successful and he's playing really well. I think so. I, I would imagine he'd have a good score. That's kind yeah, of my, hit, my my threshold for like hit rate is is basically like a four, which is really like a sixth round value. So most guys, if if they're a starter like him, they'll reach that in like three years. Yeah, and then okay. it's. You know, a, a, like I said, it's a career metric. If if you play seven years and you're really good, I mean, if you play ten years and you're really good, your score is going to be higher than if you played seven, obviously. But but some right. guys, their score goes down. Like JJ Watt. I mean, we're going to talk about him. I probably yeah, that's, I was actually glad you segued right yeah, there. No, I was going to ask you if you had his score. He missed two full years, right? Right. So his score, obviously, I'm still factoring that in. Yeah. Even though he played three games, so. You know, obviously he doesn't get the stats really because he only played three games, but his score is still being divided. So, yeah, his score is going to take a hit because he was injured. So any guy that's been injured a lot, their their score is going to go, go down. But that's part well, that of it. has to be incorporated for draft value, right? I mean, you have to. How many games is the guy actually playing? That has to right. be included, right? You can't and go around that. Internal draft sheet. If you yeah. can ever get one from an NFL team, it's all like um, six point five to seven. Second round player, eventual starter within everything has starter in it. Mm. So that's obviously what they look for is they want starters. Right, you're not drafting somebody to sit on the bench, right? I mean, like you ultimately want them to be your your new stud, or you know what I mean? Right. So, so speaking, since you segued over to Watt, what was your so before before going into what we found out, you know, here recently. Were you pro Watt to Buffalo or just kind of like whatever? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wasn't distraught that they didn't get him. I, I wasn't like ride or die necessarily for for JJ Watt, but I wanted him. I, I thought he would have been a good fit. 
I don't think a player like that comes around a lot of the time. So I think there's a big issue with the Bills defensive line, and I don't know really how they're going to solve it without without him. I'm not really sure. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really thought he'd be an amazing upgrade. I think he would have made Hughes better, Oliver. I, I There would have been a lot of value in the Bills getting him. Yeah, I was uh, I was kind of going to only be okay with if it was going to be around like a 10 million number. Like if we could have got him and brought him in for what we were dumping in Trent Murphy and what we're dumping in Tyler Croft, even if we had to take those two salaries and package it up to put them at like 13, 12, I would have been maybe okay with it. I get your, I get why we want him, right? Because I agree with you that the, the defensive line struggled. Just from being in the past, I feel like we're going to see this defensive line pretty much the same coming into next season because I, I think they believe in letting the system play out. Right. And they'll think that if you just let these guys play one more season together in the same scheme, doing the same things, that it'll mesh, it'll work. What we were planning will actually work. I don't think it necessarily will because I, well, Star's coming back. So we'll see. I mean, I think I'll, I've been saying for a while, I think Oliver's going to have a great year next year because of Star's return. I thought Oliver really played well for being out of position, you know, and he developed throughout the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it's, I, I still think for as much money as you're paying there, you, you got to be good at something like, or you should be way up in a category. Like you should be really good at the run or you should be really good at pressure. You should be really good at sacks. Like one of those, give me one of those for that kind of money. And we got none of them. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a, like I said, it's a, it's a big problem. If you're going to tell me that you're going to start Jerry Hughes, I'm fine with Jerry Hughes. I understand the analytics with him. I'm, I'm fine with him. I'm fine with Ed. I'm fine with star. And you're going to tell me it's Addison and Epinesa. I mean, Epinesa maybe because I'm, you know, I'm, I don't like to give up on guys. I'm not giving up on any, any player after two or three years. I'm, you know, give them some time, but if you're going to run that back and think that that's good enough, I mean, you said you weren't going to run it back. You said you're going to tear it. You know, that's what they said. They're going to tear it right. down, look at everything. And Tearing but, down yeah. can mean moving like one piece to them, right? Like that. I think that's what they feel like is tearing down. And and like you, you know, Star too. We don't even know what we're gonna get. We're pre, we're presuming that we're gonna get Star what he was before he left, but we don't know what's. I mean, yes, we we should think that he's healthy and he's should hopefully be in phenomenal shape and didn't have a beating on his body for a year, so he should come back good right. and ready to go. But we don't really know if that's gonna be the case. I mean, he took a year off of football. We don't know that he's gonna come back and be the same guy that we were expecting. But yeah, I mean, in Epineza, I, I kind of have this feeling that they're going to shift him. Like they're going to, they're going to try to stand him up. Well, he's I, I, like a JJ Watt guy. And I, you know, I'm not trying to be hyperbole, but I mean, Watt's a guy who has a lot of success inside. It wasn't just outside. I mean, JJ right. Watt's kind of like a, a Reggie white, like Reggie white played a lot of defensive tackle. He wasn't just a defensive end and JJ Watt did the same thing. And Epineza has that same type of, body structure. I'm not right. saying he's JJ Watt. Like, let's be honest, but I feel like they're, they might lean him towards that Lorenzo Alexander role. Yeah. I mean, wherever you can use him where he's, he's going to get, get the he seems athletic enough to be in a little bit of pass coverage. I mean, I went, I wouldn't want him like running around out there all the time, but he, he feels like he could fit that role a little bit. Mario I mean, doesn't want him running out there all the time either. Right. But, <laughs> we don't so, drop the coverage there. <laughs> so then too, though, I mean, we're, we're, so as we, we kind of both were like cool with Watt if we got him because it would have been an upgrade. And, but I feel like it would have been a small window, and I'm not sure that we're 
necessarily the team yet that should be trying to trickle into that. We got to make it happen in two years yet. I want us to try to build a little more long-term than that, but uh, I was a little relieved that he chose to go other places. When I saw some of the numbers coming out, I was like, Oh, that's going to mean a big change to the team. If we try to bring him in, right. We're going to have to see a lot of different moving parts. I mean, but, the money was a little weird, right? Yeah. Uh, like, I wasn't that concerned about the money because I I've listened to enough Greg Thompson <laughs> to know that, I mean, you can do weird things with the salary, you know? So like I knew that it wasn't going to be like, we're going to pay him 16 million. It might say that, but you might really give him like 3 million. And then next year it's like 35, you know, whatever, right? right? How how they can spread that out and do goofy things with roster bonuses. Like the, they do a lot more upfront now. Yeah. Yeah. Just move a lot of it up front and then you, you don't have to take the cap hit, make it a signing bonus. It doesn't count against your cap. You do things. Yeah. I mean, there's, I imagine we'll see a lot of that. As soon as this league season opens up, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if we start hearing a lot of teams just restructuring as many guys as they can. I mean, you've seen the Saints doing a lot of it already, and they've saved saved a lot of money by doing it already. So yeah. I know we have money to we have money to work with. I know, yes, is we if you go look at lists, we've got a small number to work with, but that's just right now. Right. I mean, I think we'll see some things happen, especially if we miss out on Milano, which I think is probably going to happen. Uh, that we'll really look to move money around to make a move, right? Yeah, at that point, we're going to have to. I think the Milano thing like has to happen. Now that yeah. you, you look at the money, and I, I know I just said that, you know, you can make it look like he's only, we're only paying him a million dollars next year, but still, at some point, you're going to be paying him all that money because obviously you want to keep him. I think it's almost a thing where he has to go at this point just because of the salary cap. Right. We can restructure Brown and, and Morris a little bit and do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, but still, I mean, if you want Daryl Williams, it's probably at least 12 million. I would think. Would you rather him than Milano right now? Yeah, I would I, too. I think so. I think you can, I mean, it's a hit either way, but you got to protect Josh. Yeah, I mean, you get four more years out of Williams, I think, if yeah. he, you know, until he's 32, 33, um, you know, and I, I agree. I think, you know, Josh, the defense proved this year that they're not going to necessarily win us games, right, in the current stat that they, nature that they're in, but who is going to? Josh Allen is going to. So you got to keep him upright. And that line proved to be pretty, pretty good at times last year. I mean, they were terrible at the beginning of the season and they really took a while to develop, but, and we'll see, cause we don't know what's going on with Feliciano yet either truly. Right. And is Ike Bakker going to be the guy at left guard again next year? Uh, I mean, I anticipate we probably want to do better than that, but he's also young and cheap. And he played pretty well. So who knows? Yeah. But, I mean, being said Ford will be in the mix, which is fine. I mean, he, he got hurt. He's, he's only in his third year yeah. coming out of his third year. You got I mean, I think you got to let these guys develop. That's my sort of Dawson Knox argument is, you know, I'm okay with like a Kyle Rudolph or something, but at the same time, I don't want you to want to give up on Knox. You got to give these, if we're going to give my whole thing is if you're going to give Josh Allen four years or three years, well then let's give everybody three years. Yeah, piece them all together if you can. You know what I mean? That's all I'm saying is. Yeah, I think if you can keep them together, then that's what you do, right? And I thought that I thought Bean kind of made some moves at the end of the offseason, too, to set himself up for coming into the offseason when he went after, like, Kenny Stills and he brought him in. And he got Kumaro back. I mean, those are guys that you could sign on, and that's that's good quality wide receiver crew. Right. So, you know, yeah, you don't know about yet. Davis is going to be back. You still got Beasley running around. We don't know what's going to happen with John Brown. I really hope we keep him. I mean, in some form or fashion, it's probably going to 
take less money, right? He's going to yeah, have to be willing to take less money, but ask him to take a little, you know, give him an extra year, but maybe reduce his salary this year is probably what they'll do. Right. Yeah. Or just front load him, you know, give, yeah. him, give him something, everything up front. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So very, so on the, we kind of touched on the, the defense pretty good. Is there any real position on the offense that you're like, we got to, we definitely need to do something different. Well, I think they really need to figure out the interior. I, I think it was very being mentioned Bacher, and he said, "Yeah, like started playing really good once we kind of left him in one spot." And I'm kind of like, as I'm listening to his press conference, I'm like screaming at my computer. Well, then do the same thing with Cody Four. Yeah, yeah. With everybody, then yeah, like, <laughs> leave him in one spot. Stop moving these guys around. But I mean, if they if they run it back next year, like the same way they did this year. I love more speed somewhere, whether or not that's that's like Kadarius Tony in the draft or or a, a late round running back who can really run. I, I do think that the Bills are approaching the time where they're starting to get into an arms war with the Chiefs in terms of speed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I necessarily want them to take like a wide receiver in the first round, but I'm telling you, Kadarius Tony is like the next sort of Tyreek Hill light. And if we don't take him, and then they take him at 31, I mean, at some point you've got to put some serious speed on this offense because you see how scared we are of their speed. You've right. got to them scared of our speed at, at some point you've got to do that right uh, I think some of that stems from the backfield too right our our inability yeah. to make the backfield anything kind of relevant last year made it very easy to defend us in a, in a lot of aspects and we still played really well and put up a lot of numbers so sure. I think if you can get something like you're talking about I agree and you mentioned a little bit earlier about the tight ends I'm a little uh, I would be okay with bringing in the veteran tight end right now and letting Dawson kind of Win it if he can win it, right? Absolutely. If he can beat him out and he beats him out, go for it. Uh, I, I've been, I was chiming all offseason in hopes that the Browns would go ahead and just let Njoko go, you know, go or trade him or do something. And I was like, that's the guy. Like, if we can get somebody like that that's tall and lengthy and has got speed, uh, the middle of the field, if we figure out the way to expose the middle of the field without having to be our wide receivers or Cole Beasley. I, we get very dangerous, I think. But who, if real quick, as we're, we're getting close to an hour here, and I want to give you some time to chat up everything you're doing. If you were to say uh, right now, if you could bring in one running back, and then we still got Singletary and Moss, who is your number one running back? The guy you bring in, or one of those two? Oh, man, I th- I think Zach Moss would be my starter. But if I'm bringing in a guy like a late round guy, even a guy like, um, like a Chuba Hubbard, who's kind of a track guy late in the draft, I'd like to use him as sort of like a change of pace, like a you know a Reggie Bush sort of type guy. But I think Zach Moss would be my starter. I think Zach is pretty good pass catching. I think he's great at blitz pickups and things like that. And yeah, he's not the fastest guy and I don't think he necessarily lived up to his, I'm going to make, you know, defenders make business decisions, but I like him more than I like Singletary. And I, I think if there is going to be an addition to the backfield, it would be a, you know, a home run hitter sort of change of pace guy. I wouldn't want to draft 
you know, like ETN or something in the first round or, or I don't want to like trade for Ezekiel Elliott or something like that. You know, I I'm fine with Zach Moss and then, and then somebody who's just faster than that. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I was clamoring a little bit that I feel like maybe a, a guy like a Mark Ingram could be a nice add to the room. Um, so he can just kind of develop them, but I feel like we are missing the speed aspect in the backfield. And I know Ingram doesn't feel that or doesn't fill that role, but right. you can almost see in the run game. Like I think if you go back and watch a lot of times you can see there's the hole and we're just nowhere near getting there. Right. Um, but I do agree. I do agree with you that I, I, I thought at the beginning of last season, that Zach Moss would be the number one back by the end of the season, because just playing in Utah, he, he felt a little more built to play in what we were going to try to do or what I thought we were going to try to do at the beginning of the season, you know, that he fits that role. He catches the ball out of the backfield. He's good at blocking. He's thicker. He's, you know, he's built more for December, January is what, kind of where I was trending with him. So I, I agree. I think he's going to be the the one and I'm curious to see what we're going to do because we still, you know, like how much longer do we roll with Yeldon and Jones? And this is like our thing, right? It feels like we got to get, we got to, we got Antonio Williams there that I think should get more flavor next year, more of a try, you know, and get Jones maybe out of there and start getting some more, as I know we're real young at the starters, but it feels like behind that we're very old and they're not very good. Right. So I'd rather just have more youth that's speedy and ready to go than having those guys. Yeah. Well, I think what you're seeing, and this is something that I thought Bean did really well, is you're starting to see that he basically had surrounded Josh with a lot of veterans you know, to sort of isolate his the variable of, of Josh and whether or not he's going to be good. And now we're starting to see some of those contracts fall off. Mm-hmm. That's sort of giving us not obviously this year was unpredictable, but it's giving you the room to now re-sign these younger guys. So you're going to, you know, you're losing a yeld and you're losing, you know, a contract like, um, you know, like a Milano. I'm, I thought they were going to resign him, but, and you're giving yourself the room to, create a younger core of your draft picks. And those are going to replace guys like John Brown and and guys like Feliciano eventually. So I think Bean did a good job of building the team and stacking them like that, but you're right. Now you've got to replace a Yeldon with, I don't know, fourth round rookie running back, whoever that guy is. Because it's got to be cheap, right? It's got to be something cheap still. You've got to get cheap filler players around your core 10 guys, right? These guys are all going to get new contracts. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we're coming up on an hour. I want to give you some time to chat. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Charlie. I, when I reached out, I was really grateful that you were like, heck yeah, let's do it. Um, I see kind of a little more now why you were so on board after meeting Melissa, your wife earlier and everything that you, you got a good story to chat about and everything. But before we get out of here, um, why don't you just, uh, we've been talking about the draft value score and that kind of stuff, but I know you got other stuff going on. So why don't you let everybody know what else you're up to, where, where all they can find you, you know, anything big you got going on you want them to know about. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I thought this was a really cool idea. Uh, I got a show on the Bill, Bill's Brawl. I have two shows. One's called The Process. That's with EJ Daniels. I got a Friday show called The Podcaster's Corner where we talk about podcasting. And, and actually, 
you asking me to come on is kind of what inspired me to do that. Cause I said, Oh man, this guy's got it created his own lane. Like that's so, so great. It's so hard to do that in this market now. But if you want to get a hold of me on Twitter, it's Charlie underscore gross underscore. Like I said, I am host of one of the hosts of the bills brawl on the brawl network. Uh, Twitter handle is at bills brawl. I also have my own analytics company called trust the process analytics. That Twitter is at TTP underscore analytics. We're working on a website, but until then, I will have most, if not all, of my data and articles on a Patreon that I'll be um, getting together this summer, and then we'll have it ready to go uh, for the start of the season. I'm also a student at the Scouting Academy, so I'll be writing some scouting reports. I'll be doing some uh, mock drafts, things like that. We're also going to have some in-season stuff since I said that the draft value score is obviously a draft analytic and week four of the NFL season. People don't care about the draft. Uh, We've got a computer uh, completion percentage metric coming out. We're also playing around with, yes, the thing that Bill's Mafia loves the most. Say it with me, Mafia. Player grades we will probably have player grades so you can yell at me all you want about how i hate josh allen because i only gave him a 74 or whatever it is um so look forward to that um that stuff will be on socials i'll be getting an instagram account going probably in a facebook page but for now you can find me on twitter at charlie underscore gross underscore and once again i appreciate you having me on i I really appreciate the uh opportunity to talk the bills and and my analytics but also obviously the the fibromyalgia association and and how that can help people yeah absolutely i'm glad i'm glad you came on charlie it was a great chat uh for those you've been watching you obviously see uh you know charlie's info scrolling across the bottom of the screen so if you go you can go check it out on youtube and watch this uh you also see that the nfa you know their website for donating is scrolling there for you guys um, but you can also you'll find it in the show notes and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, of course, I uh, appreciate you guys listening in again. You know, the show is, uh, you know, about just kind of hopefully bringing some knowledge out there, uh, you know, learning about new things. And we're going to chat it up with a bunch of cool people doing cool things. Um, and I want to say again, thank you to Melissa, uh, you know, for joining us, uh, you know, Charlie's wife, um, you know, who you know got to tell her story, which was really awesome. And uh, go follow Charlie. You guys, he just told you where he's at. He's a sharp dude. You can obviously tell by listening to him. He's got a lot of cool things going on. Uh, so thanks again, Charlie, for having me on, man. I really are having you come on with me and I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, of course, everybody, you can see at the bottom there, if you want to find all of my stuff, I'm at the Buffalo nerd.com. I do got Patreon as well. Um, you can check that out. Patreon, you know, just look up the Buffalo nerd and type in Patreon. You'll find it. Uh, we've got some shirts going on. If you guys want to support the show that way, uh, you know, all the proceeds and everything are going to go to the cerebral palsy foundation. That's my spotlight charity for the year. Um, you know, so anything that the show brings in, uh, it's going to be sent over to those guys and everything like that. So you guys can find all that stuff over at the Buffalo nerd.com. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Buffalo nerd with Colt Schroeder. Before you go, make sure you hit that like button and subscribe. So you don't miss any future episodes. Find Colt on all social channels at the Buffalo nerd and at the Buffalo. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.